We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. KC Laboratory. Sponsored by Emprise Bank. It's the KC Laboratory brought to you by Emprise Bank. When was the last time that you personally went into a bank? I, I can't remember the last time that I did. So now more than ever, who you're doing business with is a lot more important than their proximity to you. Emprise Bank is a trusted business partner that can serve anyone, anywhere, including you. Emprise Bank member FDIC is our partner in Possible at KC Sports Network and for the KCSN Draft Guide. We love them. We appreciate them. They make all of this happen. My name is Craig Stouch. You are joined live with the KC Laboratory or listening the next day. And I sound a little different than Kent, who's normally here and who is away on work uh, impressing people with his glorious hair and wonderful charisma. But speaking of glorious hair and wonderful charisma, <laughs> my good friend, Maddie Lane, at Maddie KCSN, has joined me today. Maddie, how you doing today, buddy? Well, I'm glad you're carrying on, the, carrying on Kent's tradition of messing up the Twitter at because you forgot the underscore. I forgot so you nailed the it. underscore. You nailed the Kent impression right off the top. I mean, like, if it wasn't for the voice, I'd have thought you guys were the same person. Um, <laughs> hair, no. game, all hair. the exact same. Uh, yeah. No, I'm, ex I'm excited to be here. And per usual, when Craig and I get together before the show starts, we're like, hey, just the two of us. It's going to be a 22-minute show. And undoubtedly, this, this is going to be 58 minutes full of the nerdiest football talk you guys are probably gonna go ahead and hear for the majority of uh the life of this podcast you're, you're sitting a high bar here I, i'm a little nervous about how this is going because you're setting such a high bar here oh, but that is right i can go we're, down we're <laughs> we're we're gonna nerd out a little bit here and one of the things that both maddie and i like to nerd out about is kind of the thresholds for what steve spagnolo looks for in his pass rushers, the edge position, and in the cornerback position. Those are two positions that the Chiefs are in desperate need of this offseason. I, I think that some people have heard some of this, you know, that as far as the general specifications, but then we're going to talk about the draft cliffs at those positions. Players that may fit, players that may not fit, and how that could impact the Chiefs' draft strategy going forward we've talked a little bit about some of this stuff in the past but kind of tying it all together for some of these people who maybe don't know the full qualifications don't understand the ramifications we get a lot of mock drafts sent to us and some of them 
Maddie can, you know, kind of attest to this. You look at some of those guys and you're like, ah, I don't think that Steve Spagnola would like that kind of guy. So maybe we set some of this up, explain why some of this works the way that it does and why Steve Spagnola likes some of this stuff. So Maddie. Oh, well, I just want to say, I'm not going to lie. Like the most disappointing part about getting mock drafts or having to do one (laughs) is putting in the guys that I think the Chiefs will actually take. Or when somebody says, hey, what do you think about this? And they have Nick Benito, for instance, in there. Like, what do you think about this? Like, hey, I love the player, but I got bad news for you. And like, sometimes I don't respond because I just don't want to be the bearer of bad news or I don't want to deal with this. Like people treat it as if sometimes, not everybody, but sometimes as if I'm saying the player's bad or couldn't be good here. No, that's not the case. It's just simply the Chiefs. Steve Spagnuolo, especially as we're talking defense, the Chiefs, they're just not going to use that player. They're not going to be interested in that player. There's a lot of data that backs it up here. So, I mean, I think that's what we're about to get into. But I just want to say, like, I am sorry, anybody that I said, hey, like the player, but your mock draft, eh, not great Chiefs fits. But it's just, unfortunately, the Chiefs really do have a type. And I I don't particularly like the type, but they have a type at defensive end and at quarterback. I mean, yeah, we, we talked about this a little bit when we looked at, like, the offensive tackles last year Andy Reid had a type at offensive tackle and it was very focused on arm length and so we kind of before the Chiefs traded for Orlando Brown Jr. went through a lot of mock drafts a lot of scenarios trying to look at the offensive tackle group and they were largely short-armed and so we kind of kept coming back to I don't know if the Chiefs are going to be comfortable with some of these options sure enough they weren't they trade for Orlando Brown Jr. so we're Kind of going to look at some of the similar things. Let's start with Edge, Maddie. You write something for the KCSN Draft Guide every single year evaluating Edge prospects and Spagnolo fits. Why don't you run the people down on generically what that is? We don't have to go into all the data, but generically what that is. Yeah, and so I'm going to say, if you guys want the visual, the full visual of this uh, on the KCSN Substack, that's kcsn.substack.com, I actually put this article up there for everybody that's a member to read it before the, the draft guide is coming out on Wednesday. So this upcoming Wednesday, the draft oh, guide yeah. is coming out to you guys. Like It's right around the corner. There's a link here in this description. If you haven't gotten yours yet, but make sure you get on top of that because it, it's worth it. But if you need a preview, head on over to the Substack. You got to check out this article. It'll have kind of the the in-print version of what I'm about to try to say here. But (laughs) essentially, Steve Spagnuolo, going all the way back to his first stint as defensive coordinator with the New York Giants, has a very specific type of defensive end. And that type is big, so over six foot three, long, over 33-inch arm length, and, well, strong didn't really play a part in it. But, you know, wait, big again. We're back to big. It's big twice. You got to be tall, long, and big. So over six foot three over 33-inch arms, over 260 pounds. You fit all three of those criteria, you're A-OK. You're perfectly in the Steve Spagnuolo kind of wheelhouse of the guys he likes. And in fact, over all this time, he has played, what, 31 defensive ends have played significant snaps for him while he's been a defensive end or a defensive coordinator or head coach in the NFL. So 31 guys, only seven Only seven guys have missed one of those numbers. Only seven have missed one of those thresholds at defensive ends. Like that paints a pretty clear picture, at least I think of what he's looking for. Yeah, it absolutely does. And I I like that you kind of put in there that explosiveness and agility, not there's, there's no real through line there. Zero correlation does not like, obviously he's fine with guys that have that, but it's not a requirement like it is for, you know, some of these other defensive coordinators that want, 
bendier pass rushers, explosive guys. Steve Spagnolo wants size, length, you know, and size again, basically playing with power. And so we've looked at that. He's been doing that for the past several years. And so far, I believe Mike Dana is the real outlier of all of these guys, a day three pick, but, you know, a very high IQ player plays bigger than Mike Dana is, you know, because he's very smart with his hand technique and things like that. But by and large, these bigger guys. So we've looked at some of these guys in the draft so far this year, Maddie, and we kind of have talked about this first round has a few of those. Let's run through kind of the early guys there. Aiden Hutchison. He is <laughs> a make or a miss for Steve Spagnuolo here. Well, so I, I want to drive this point home because you said it, and I think it is really worth talking about real quick. Up until 2020, so from 2007 up until the 2020 draft, not a single player was too short, too light, and had arm like no two player had two of those. No two player was too short and too light or too short and didn't have long enough arms. They had to only miss one criteria. Mike Dana was drafted in 2020 and missed all three. All three. First guy out of his entire career that missed more than one, and he had missed all three. The Chiefs followed that up in 2021 with Melvin Ingram, who also was too short and has shorter arms. So you can maybe argue that the Chiefs and Steve Spagnuolo are trending towards breaking the trend. If you look at the percentages, he's actually more consistent with the thresholds in Kansas City than out of. But the, the guys that miss are just a little bit more wild. So you can hang your hat on that if you love some yeah. guys that we get to that I say are you know a not as much of a fit. However, Aiden Hutchinson, kind of surprising, I think, to some. He's only like a, he, he's a, I put him as a medium high fit because that means he just misses one of the major, the primary criteria that his arm length, 32 inches, too short. So he's the right height, the right weight. He just missed the arm length. I'll, I'm a rapid fire these real quick. So I don't think yeah, we have do a whole lot of them. Let's Kayvon get through the early dudes. Yeah. yeah. Kayvon Thibodeau, also a medium high fit. He's too light, only 254 pounds at the combine. You would think. Weight is easy to just add on, and it probably is. But guess what? It hasn't affected Steve Spagnuolo in the past. Being yeah. light has been the hardest no-no. That is the one area he does not wiggle on as lighter guys. So that's concerning for someone like Jermaine Johnson, who I think if you look at him and see that he's this guy that looks like a perfect fit for Steve Spagnuolo, he came into the combine at 254. He was 259 at the uh, Senior Bowl when he was down there. So, you know, the weight fluctuates, but he's a little light as well. So, again, we're looking at a high-medium fit. The only high fit. Trevon Walker fits all the criteria over six foot three, over 260 pounds, has over 33 inch arms. Like that's your, of your top four. He's the only guy that's a perfect fit, but none of them you can rule out. I think that's the key here. You yeah. can't rule out any of them because he's more than willing to dip into the pool of, oh, hey, your arms are a little short. Fine. You're a little too short. Fine. It's just when you start stacking multiple misses of the criteria together where it becomes a problem. Yeah. And so Trevon Walker of those top four guys is the one that, would fulfill all of those um would be an ideal fit in kansas city my goodness like he's got the explosion he's got a little bit of the bit like i would love tron walker in kansas city trevon walker may not make it out of the first two picks of the nfl draft he really might not i mean he it, there's so much hype around him right now of these four realistically the guys that we're seeing maybe there's not as much of a consensus on is uh, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau and Jermaine Johnson. And those two guys, like you said, both weigh the same. So if you're in on one, you're probably in on both. Kayvon Thibodeau has had 
a week showed up tested fine like if you look at his relative athletic score it was a 9.6 out of 10 i believe uh you know math bomb put out there that he was 57th you know in the history of the nfl but it was the combined numbers it wasn't anything that was like super elite about what he did and i think that maddie we we were talking about this a little bit about how you expected maybe a guy with that sort of hype, with that sort of profile, to have an elite trait to kind of hang your hat on. And instead, everything was very good, but nothing was quite, you know, at the very tip-top peak that would make you really excited about him. Yeah, that's that's the tricky part with Kayvon Thibodeau here is, he, I actually, I'd say his 40 time is it was elite for his size. Yeah. He's a 254-pounder yeah. and what he ended up running, like a 4.5 something. It was in the low 4.5s or mid 4, mm-hmm. or, uh, sorry, Fast. here it is, 4.58 with a 1.59 10-yard split. Like, that's pretty good. So that that is good. That is elite. The problem is when you combine that with, 119 inch broad jump, which is, is again good, but not elite. And then especially the 7.3233 count. That's where you kind of lose it. So you look at the prototype, you have this really fast rusher, 254 pounds, super fast. Okay, maybe he's really explosive off the line. And you watch his tape, it says he's explosive, but 119 inch broad jump, that's good. That's not great. You're not going to constantly be putting offensive tackles on their heels, afraid of that. And now the 10 yard split's good. So maybe it's a skill translation thing. But then you look at the three cone. I think most people already saw him as a little bit stiff. Seven three two is really stiff for a guy at his weight. Guys that light gotta bend, and if you can't bend, like he's fast, he's linear. Who's the last fast linear player that we remember coming through Kansas City, Craig? Oh well, um, let's see. I can't think of one right now. <laughs> I was thinking D four. That D four. Oh, you were gonna go D. To go okay. I was going. I D4. thought D was a little bit bendy, just a smidge. A, a little bendy. bit, but yeah. you know, he he was he was a little linear and fast. And it's like you know, I just think that's the kind of athletic profile that you're kind of looking at. And so I think that is the hesitation that I have with Thibodeau. I mm-hmm. think NFL teams might have a little bit of that. Just they see a stiffer guy that's a little bit lighter, and their their issues more off the field. I think, but that's Correct. just that's the holdup I see with the athletic profile. Yeah, I mean, uh, Thibodeau carries himself like a guy that thinks he's the best player in the NFL already. He does. And there's something to be said about that confidence. Personally, I don't have a problem with this with that confidence if he shows up and he's willing to work, which that's on the scouts and the coaching staff to figure out. I, I don't care how confident he is. Let's go, you know. But those four guys are probably going very high in the draft. And trying to climb up to get one of those guys is going to be difficult. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. You're having to spend basically both your first round picks or a first 50 and the Ryan Poles comp pick to maybe get up to like the early teens, something like that. It's a lot of assets to give up for a defensive end. I personally would do it so that you have a pass rusher, a young pass rusher, but that's kind of where the initial cliff drops is that right maddie am i am i correct in saying that i know that some people have some other guys around there but i think that that's where the real cliff starts yeah i think i think that's a very very clear and evident cliff i think having david ojabo before he ruptured his achilles you could maybe make this argument that he was either in that group or he was at least providing a bridge to the next group but without him or with him being injured I think it's a pretty significant or pretty substantial drop. After these four, do you have a day one guy that's ready to come in and compete at a high level? Do you have a guy that not only is ready to come in and compete at a high level on day one, but also comes with a real ceiling? Like, I think you could make an argument that there's some guys we'll get into that have, you know, the ability to play on day one. 
there's guys yeah. that you'll make that uh, that argument, but how good will they be? You're trading off the ceiling for the instant impact. These four guys are, I think, instant impact with high-end starter ceiling. And after this, I think you take a big step backwards. Absolutely. Ojabo, by the way, 250 pounds, misses the Steve Spagnuolo criteria there. Then you kind of take another step back. Boye Mafe, George Karloftis, both have 32 and three-quarters inch arms. Once again, taking a step back there. You're really talking about, you're having to go pretty deep after that to get another guy that you feel comfortable with. Arnold Ebichetti also misses height and weight. Jai Sanders misses weight and arms. Uh, you know, Nick Benito, like you mentioned, misses weight and arms. Josh Pascal misses height and arms. These are all guys that we've talked about, kind of flirted with a little bit as being, you know, round one pick or a round two guy. And so these guys are all missing multiple criteria. Some of these guys are missing two criteria, which again, like Maddie said, are right out. So this is a situation where you're probably not drafting those guys. Once again, that cliff, that fall off at that point, because it, you know, I know we, we actually have a comment in the chat here from Nate dog. Who's in charge though? Spags or Veach at one point. Doesn't Veach have to put his foot down and take the best player measurements be damned. You would think so. But that's not been the case. It really hasn't been the case. Like they have largely adhered to these strict guidelines. And if you are spending draft capital, if you are drafting a player early and it does not fit what the defensive coordinator prefers for a player like that, that player may not play as much. He may not, you know, have the same sort of impact as you would expect within the system. Like, these are all things that you have to think about when allocating these draft assets. Maddie and I would love to have some of these guys, but because, you know, Steve Spagnuolo has these rigid thresholds and it's gotten him to multiple Super Bowls, won him a couple with a defensive line play, he's going to continue to probably adhere to a lot of this stuff, which is why we're, you know, looking at this and going, oh man, well, this stinks. But I, uh, Maddie, who else do we have kind of flirting around here that you could be looking at with some of these early picks that the Chiefs had? Yeah, so let's just let's take a look at that second group. We talked about that first cliff kind of falling off after the top four. So, I mean, we're thinking top 10, top 15 picks tops. You're probably losing those top four, right? Yeah. So let's go look at the next group. And, you know, I'm going to name off some guys, and you can tell me if you don't, if you think somebody else should be here. But David Ajabo, we talked about him. Mm -hmm. uh, George Karloftis, we did a little bit of a film room on him in the KCS and Discord last week. It's still out there. If you guys pop over the Discord and the film room channel, you can find that. Boy Mafe, Arnold Ebicchetti, Josh Pascal, I'll put in here. And then I'm going to round it out with Drake Jackson from okay. you know USC. So that's the next tier to me. And I'm looking at these guys, and I see guys that a lot of them aren't going to fit Steve Spagnuolo's criteria. I mean, Boy Mafe, actually, his hands or his arm length at the Senior Bowl, he'd be a perfect fit at the combine. They came <laughs> in a little shorter. He's he's clearly a player that I think the Chiefs would be interested in based on the physical profile. George Karloftis, arms are a little short, but the rest of it fits a lot of what the Chiefs like to do in terms of their defensive end. Drake Jackson, a little short. He's like a half inch or three-eighths of an inch under the six-foot-three threshold. Again, these are all guys I wouldn't be surprised to see the Chiefs be interested in. They're all part of that second tier, but what does that second tier mean? Like When you hear those names, what do you think those guys are going to do in year one? I mean, like, that's the thing. In year one, those guys are probably rotational players at best. You're not putting them opposite of Frank Clark and saying, okay, go out and set an edge and, you know, rack up, you know, a whole bunch of pressures and a whole bunch of sacks. Like, that group of guys needs some seasoning. 
They need some work to get to the level that you would expect, with the exception of maybe Karloftis. That's a group that you're going to need to put through the paces, you know, work through the film room, have them be able to ID play, plays at a high level, and then you're gambling on ceiling. Now, that being said, the Chiefs need a guy. Now, again, we've talked about this before. Melvin Ingram is waiting in the wings, just waiting until training camp to show up. A guy in that group makes a lot of sense. But the expectation as it is right now, I see from a lot of fans, is like, oh, just go get one of those guys. And he's your starter, you know, opposite of Frank Clark. I don't think that's the case. It's rough for some of those guys to come in and contribute. Some of these guys have been a little better athletes over the past couple of years, maybe a little better players, guys that we were a little more fond of that we thought could come in and contribute a little more immediately. And a lot of those guys end up as rotational players, too. So I think that that's where the large part of that group is, too. Yeah, and that's that's why I think the the cliff aspect is so important here because you're looking at we just named what we had four guys off the top and then we just looked at like another what is it six guys with yeah. ten edges that's that's a pretty good group that's like that's yeah. a pretty good group to be looking at for the first two rounds right but there's no ch the Chiefs have no real chance to get one of the first four so they're going to be vying for one of those next six names that be that have been mentioned assuming they don't trade up. Only a couple of them fit what the Chiefs like to do. Like guys like Josh Pascal, I think his play style is very much on par with what the Chiefs like, but he doesn't fit a lot of the criteria. Arnold Ebiketti, he's really light. He was down to the 240s at his yeah. pro day. That's I I just don't know if I can see that one make a lot of sense for what the Chiefs ask their defensive ends to do. That's not even including what Steve Spagnuolo would say about it. Like I just right. don't know if, if he's going to be able to pull it off. So like you're working from such a limited pool of guys that can come up and start. And I think ultimately at the end of this, my takeaway is if you have a chance to trade up for one of those top four, go do it because yeah. they, they're, they're close enough to a fit for what Steve Spagnuolo likes. He's okay with missing on one of those things. And all of them are relatively close to the threshold that they miss on. They're better players. They can come in and play on day one and have a high ceiling. Like looking through when you start looking at where things fall off, and then what the Chiefs like at their defensive end, it's hard for me to not see a reason to try to trade up. Yeah, and okay, let's take a look at some of the guys that would be available maybe 62 and a little bit later because 10 edges going before 62 is not unheard of, you guys. So even if you wait to try and catch one of those guys, it's still going to be rough. Like you can miss out on everybody and then, you know, maybe you end up trying to trade up for your last guy and you end up trading up for Breland Speaks. Let's just throw a name out there. So let's talk about some of these other guys that actually do fit some of the criteria, Maddie. Guys like DeMarvin Leal, Alex Wright, Michael Clemens, Sam Williams. These are all guys that, especially you and I, we like Michael Clemens like Sam Williams a little bit like these these are guys that I think would make a lot of sense play with power have tons of length a little bit rigid but you know <laughs> guy guys that would fit in that I think would be almost as much of a contributor as maybe some of these other guys obviously don't have the same high ceiling as that second group that you mentioned but guys that could come in and be in a rotational role a la Mike Dana you know for the past couple of years guy that could play at that sort of level that is a little bit longer that's that's the hard part when you work with within spags thresholds you start looking at the guys that are great fits and like you said guys like alex wright michael clemens isaiah thomas out of oklahoma mm -hmm. zachary carter out of florida a lot of people are going to go watch those guys they're going to come away and say i don't know if that guy's ever going to be a huge a great pass rusher in the nfl and you know what i agree 
but it hasn't mattered. They're bigger, they're longer, they're stronger guys. They're not necessarily the bendiest, best pass rushers of the groups. Like there, you are kind of capping the ceiling when you look at this style of player. But to Craig's point, a lot of those guys, they they are physically ready to come into the NFL and mm-hmm. play on day one. They they might mostly be run stuffers. They might be power rushers that do need three seconds, three and a half seconds to get to the quarterback, and which you're gonna have to rely on your coverage to to give you those well, three and a half we'll seconds. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> But uh, but th- that's the kind of defensive end that the Chiefs have often, or Steve Spagnuolo has often gravitated towards. And now, when you start looking at guys that miss just one of the criteria, you do open up for some mm-hmm. more high ceiling. Guys like Jeffrey Gunter, super explosive. He falls into that category. Dominique Robinson, out of Miami of Ohio, this wide receiver turned defensive end, he fits into that category. Tyreek Smith out of Ohio State. like You can get more upside as long as you're willing to fudge on one of the criteria a little bit later in the draft. But also with all those names, did you see kind of how I prefaced each one? There's a lot of development that needs to be had with them. So the concept of, oh, you missed out on one of these top edges, just grab one or two later, I do think falls a little short. I mean, this is something we talk about year after year. How many defensive ends come into the NFL and dominate when they weren't taken in the first round? It's rare. It's very, very rare. And most of those guys are force rushers, dudes that have density and explosion and bend you know and it's usually not year one that those dudes contribute it's usually year two three four five which you know that's that's fine if you're drafted for that but chiefs need a guy so yeah yeah i'm glad you mentioned force players we don't have to go too far into this but seeming we're about to get into cbat talk here in a second Mm -hmm. this is a perfect time It, it unfortunately didn't get to make the draft guide this year but I did set out to start making some version of a uh, athletic, you know, formula metric to tell me or to at least help figure out if we can use athletic testing to figure out how good a pass rusher may or may not be. Similar concept to a force player, those of you that are familiar with it. But essentially, I am looking at various athletic testing metrics from guys in the NFL, seeing what kind of aligns to make these guys stick, what might not. And so far, I have only just worked through since 2010 guys that have been good guys that have had over 20 sacks during their rookie contract and had a double digit sack year. So like I'm looking which at- is rare, by the yeah. way. I just want to make it very clear. 20 sacks in your rookie contract is rare in the NFL. Yeah. This is Go the, ahead. this is the no, no, this is the best of the best guys. So mm-hmm. give me one second here. I'll tell you exactly how many guys have done that. So since 2010, 34 players have had over 20 sacks. Oh nope, sorry, it's a few more than that. Uh <laughs> it is 36 players have had over 20 sacks and a 10 sack plus sack season. And this is out of goodness over, over 300 play defensive ends drafted over that time, about 340 players drafted. So very rare, but I'm starting to see a little bit of a correlation for some of the stuff that, you know, athletically that they have in common. There's actually a pretty clear overall score that I have come up with that fits the vast majority of these guys into this one specific category. So I'm excited for next year. Once I get further into this to get, I'll tell you guys a little bit more, but what I can say there's, there's definitely the more athletic you are, they, the odds are you might have a chance to be good. If you're not athletic, if you are a poor athlete, you're probably not going to be one of these dominant edge rushers. That is very, very rare. Read that out as of, out of the 37 guys here, only, uh, Five of them are poor or not really good athletes that have done this. So you have to be a good athlete to be good in the NFL as a pass rusher. But that's just a long tease. That's a year-long tease right there. 
Well, there you go. You should reference it every single week. Just kind of slowly tease that out and just kind of draw it out as much as possible. Just like we're drawing out the McAdoodles arrival in Kansas City. Listen, I'm ready for it to be here. They're ready for it to be here. You're ready for it to be here. Summer of 2022, that is coming to Kansas City. And you're going to feel so good about its arrival. You're going to feel as good as when the Chiefs trade up. To go get Kayvon Thibodeau, who is falling because NFL teams don't like his attitude? Eh, who cares? The Chiefs are going to bring him in. He's going to be an elite player, just like McAdoodles is going to be an elite player in the liquor store game. They're going to take the best care of you. But there's only one Kayvon Thibodeau, but there can be more McAdoodles. So if you are a franchisee, get a hold of Roger, info at macadoodles.com, and let's start sprinkling these all around Kansas City. Get some elite liquor stores with elite customer service and elite selection to the area. All right, Maddie, do you have anything more that you would like to add to the defensive end talk, or are you ready to nerd out about the position that the Chiefs do not draft in cornerbacks? Uh, I I just wanted to make sure that, you know, we – we flushed out the, this cliff talk here because I, I think this is important as you get into the draft season. So it doesn't have to be long, but we kind of talked about it. Your first yeah. four, you're looking at being gone by pick 15. We're going to say being conservative. That next group of six-ish guys, I think you would have to take by pick 50 if you're the Chiefs to feel comfortable. I don't know if you can sit around and wait until pick 62. Like, wh- where? what is your plan going to this? How are you trying to attack it if we're basing it generally off those numbers Where are you trying to get defensive ends from this draft class? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash blue wire terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm hoping that David Ojabo is there at 29, and I'm just relying on Melvin Ingram and the bodies in the room to get it done this year, if I'm being honest. Maybe maybe you take Michael Clemens in day three if he's still around, and you and you roll with some some solid guys, not necessarily the highest upside defensive end room, but no, you've got a blue chipper coming there. After that, I I don't really like a lot of the other guys. I mean, like any anybody else that you're drafting in that second group is going to be 
under more or less the same sort of position as David Ojabo. Not a whole lot of expectation. Obviously, they can be on the field. and David Ojabo won't, but they could be on the field not in any real tangible way that's going to make a drastic impact on this team. So that would be my strategy, and I completely understand why the Chiefs would not even touch that with a stick. What What's yours here? This is the hard part. I think the Chiefs are almost in the worst spot for this because I – you're not going to most likely not going to get one of the top four. I'm with, I'm trading up. If there's anybody available after pick 10 at pick 10, mm-hmm. I'm trying to go get the last of the top tier guys. If the chiefs don't want to give up that much draft capital, even if you just sit around and pick at 29, I'm not sure you're going to have your choice of those six names. You might be getting the third or fourth guy of that group. I mean, six, seven defensive ends going before pick 29 in this draft class is entirely plausible. So like if all of a sudden you lose out on a Carl Loftus and a Jabo and a Mafe, those three others go off the board, you're choosing oh, between Evan Ketty, who doesn't fit. Josh Pascal doesn't fit. Are you going to be the team that takes Drake Jackson in the first round? I understand. Oh. The athletic profile is there, but that college film, the college production is not that good for him coming out of the Pac-12, which is not that strong. Like they're in a bad spot, but I also don't think you can wait either. Like that's the Mm -hmm. trick. Good edge class. Everyone's talking about how good the edge class is. And Mm -hmm. I agree. It's just not great when you need one guy to come in and start right away. A guy, same guy, different guy to build your defense around the future. Like you don't have a lot of those guys coming in at the end of round one in any draft. So like you almost just have to take two swings from that tier two. If you can't mm-hmm. trade up would be, I guess my, uh, my preferred plan of attack there. Would you take two? Would you go, would you go 30 and 50 at edge right now? If, um, if you yeah. stayed put, you would. It, okay. If one was a job, especially because the upside is so is very high and he's not going to do a lot for you in year one. So mm-hmm. like you might need a little bit of cover. So like taking him, it, you know, one of those picks would be good. I'm a huge fan of Sam Williams out of Ole Miss. I, I think he actually is a perfect Steve Spagnuolo fit and he can actually bend and he's kind of explosive. Mm-hmm. There's just some off field stuff that they have to look into from, you know, back in 2020 at Ole Miss. So there's a question mark there, but like, th- yeah, I'm taking two of those guys if I can't trade up, I think. And that depends on what the wide receiver room or the cornerback room does. Yeah. So let's move on to cornerbacks here. Now, once again, like on the Substack, I was Maddie's today. I wrote an article about cornerbacks, and I kind of evaluated that this cornerback class has pretty short arms. Now it's not the shortest since I've been doing, you know, all of this tabulation of everything. It's not the shortest group that we have seen. It is the second shortest group that we've seen, and a lot of these guys that we've looked at have particularly short arms. Now. You think about cornerbacks, it's like that's important because, you know, if you're on the boundary, you're having to try and go up and make a play at the catch point. The NFL is just reloading every single year with giant physical freaks that can jump out of the building at wide receiver right now. So every inch of advantage that you can get, you know, you need at the cornerback position. Steve Spagnolo, you know, has kind of adopted this as well. The NFL average for cornerbacks at the combine since 2010 is 31.4 inches. Steve Spagnolo's average for players that he has drafted and given significant playing time to is 
31.85 inches. Like, and it doesn't seem like a lot, but when you're talking about a large group of players like that, because Spagnolo has been getting cornerbacks into his room for a long time, that is a significant difference above average. That includes guys like Rashad Fitton and Mike Hughes that have shorter than the NFL average arms. Now, you, t- you think about Rashad Fenton, you think about Mike Hughes, you're not thinking, you know, oh, there's our blue chip corner or anything like that. So I took a little bit of a look at what the cornerback group this year looks at because, I mean, the Chiefs need a cornerback. They don't draft cornerbacks, but they do need a cornerback. So we're going to do some of the similar things that we did with the defensive end room here, trying to look for big physical dudes with longer arms because once again Spagnolo is going to want those guys and for this reason I can get it like Betty you get why cornerbacks need long arms and why they want to be physical and everything like like that makes sense we don't have to try and explain how that's different than the rest of the NFL right no I get that I get why Steve Spagnolo wants defensive ends and long arms too watch how they play those guys have to play right. a gap and a half like they're not just setting the edge they're doing a lot so I get it on defensive line too there's just on the defensive end position, there's no other, there's no way to make up for a lack of flexibility or explosiveness. Like it just doesn't exist. You can't just be like, haha, my arms are really long, so I can touch you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Like that doesn't doesn't do you a lot for a defensive end. Whereas the corner, you got long arms. One, the ball has to be fit over your head, makes it a lot more difficult. Two, a receiver has to get away from you for, to be open. It makes a difference. It's just like a reactive versus like a proactive kind of position. So like I get the differences here and why the NFL is also aligned with Steve Spagnuolo, whereas, you know, edge rushers, a lot of other people are more willing to take the better athletes. Right. And I I think it's important to note here that in the first round of the NFL draft, what we're about to talk about right now, in the first round, there have only been three players in the last seven years drafted in the first round playing cornerback with arms under 31 inches. Those three players, Mike Hughes, like we previously mentioned, Vernon Hargreaves, and Damon Arnett. None of those three players made it to year four of the rookie contract despite being first-round picks. They're going to add to that this year because this cornerback group is short. And one of the players that's going to add to that with is arguably the best cornerback in the draft class if he stays healthy here in Derek Stingley Jr. He's got 30 and uh 30.625 inch arms. He's certainly going in the first round in the NFL draft. Maddie, I and I don't even think that it's going to be a Damon Arnett Mike Hughes scenario. I think this is going to be more of an outlier than anything. And then Sauce Gardner is the other guy and Sauce Gardner is the polar opposite because Sauce Gardner has 33 and a half inch arms. Neither one of those guys is leaving the top 10. Is that fairly safe to say right now? I, I think Stingley could be on the fringe, but he's going in the, the first half of the first round, I think. I think I think there's enough questions with his Liz Franck injury. I mean, one, you don't want any player coming off that, but a corner, oh, sure. it's a lot, of, a lot of planting and pressure going into that foot all the time off of two injury-riddled years. Like, if he falls a little bit, I'd get it. Uh, and the arm length thing for him though, it definitely creeps up. But the thing you go back to with Stingley is go watch him play. Has it ever mattered? Like, I mean, no. has it, I've never no. seen an issue where I've once been like, Oh man, his arms are kind of short. Like you, if actually, if anything, I think they were long. Now 
maybe my maybe my idea is warped because I watched the practice reps of him versus Alligator Jamar Chase, and it's just two guys with short arms battling it out. But they're both, I mean, they dominated everybody else too. But so. see, that's the thing. Yeah, if you talk about a guy like Jamar Chase, who is a good contested, contested catch guy who can go up and get it with explosion and ability, Derek Steenley has that explosion. So you can make up for the short arms, but it's going to be a situation where, where Derek Steenley probably likely almost certainly is going to be gone before the before the Chiefs take a pick here. So let's move on to the next two guys here, Andrew Booth Jr. and Trent McDuffie. Uh, Andrew Booth Jr. also not really. Oh, are you going to correct me about the next two guys? Oh, no, 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 no. I was just okay. saying, uh-oh, because who's coming up? I, I, oh, I know, yeah, yeah, I yeah. I know what's happening. Yeah. So Andrew Booth Jr., 31 and a half inch arms. He's not doing much testing. He's still coming off of you know some injuries. I believe he had core muscle surgery recently as well. Expected to be back before the, the start of training camp, but may cause him to fall because he didn't test. But let's talk about McDuffie here. Trent McDuffie, 29 and three quarters inch arms. Trent McDuffie would be the first player since 2010 to be drafted in the first round with under 30-inch arms. It has not happened before at cornerback. I should I should be clear. I'm sure there's a running back or something that's had under 30-inch arms. But it, nobody has been drafted with that short of arms at that position. The earliest guy that was drafted before that was Dante Jackson, who ran like crazy. So I... What do you feel like about Trent McDuffie? Obviously a physical player. Like I, I, I think that there's dog in him. I think he's a good player and all of that. Steve Spagnuolo may look at those arms and just immediately say, hey, listen, I can't I can't play that dude on the outside. So what, what do you think about Trent McDuffie? Um, okay. So he, I guess this is this is slight peeking behind the curtain, but if I remember correctly, there was some mild interest, if not more, in the Chiefs with Byron Murphy coming out of Correct. that same program who went number pick 33 overall. So the first pick in the second round, Byron Murphy did have over 30 in charge, but not mm-hmm. by 30 and 30 and one eighth inches. So like we're dealing with a very small difference here, but like the chiefs were interested mildly at the very, at the very least in another corner that had shorter than preferred arms. That was very good. You want me to compare and contrast those two players, which is very easy because they're coming from the same school. Trent McDuffie's better. And I love yeah. Byron Murphy. Trent McDuffie's just a better player. You go back and listen to these names that Craig was listing off earlier with Vernon Hargreaves, Damon Arnett, who's the third guy I'm going to blank on now in the first round with the short arms, Craig. Oh, uh, Mike Hughes. Mike Hughes. Okay, well, <laughs> those three guys, I think you can uh, you can go ahead and put up a lot of off-field concerns between those three guys combined. Guess who has zero off-field concerns? Trip yeah. McDuffie. He's arguably like one of the most impressive interviewers that anybody has had during or interviewees anyone's had during this process. So if he also breaks this trend, if he's the first to do this, it wouldn't floor me. Because again, I'm comparing him to his ex-Washington alum and Byron Murphy, who has just tiny bit longer arms, went pick 33. There's at least some other players who weren't as good of prospects as him that have gone in the first round with short arms. Not as short, but short arms. I could make the case that it makes sense for him to do that this year. That said, will it be the Chiefs? No. Yeah, I, I don't think so and so like now you've got four cornerbacks Andrew Booth Jr. probably a guy the Chiefs would be interested in if his medicals check out and once again I know we just got done talking about David Ojabo a lot and maybe red shirt in a year 
the Chiefs have been very reluctant to spend high assets on guys with medical issues. They just have, period. You know, I know everybody's going to point to Trey Smith. That was in the sixth round. The, the risk was minimal at that point. They felt like they had that figured out. So a guy that's coming off of a whole bunch of injuries, didn't get to test, you know, I, the Chiefs may be out on Andrew Booth Jr. Trent McDuffie may be one of the only guys. And I don't see this team trading up because that's, I think, what it would take because Trent McDuffie, I think, is going to go even higher than the Chiefs pick. I don't see them trading up for a guy with under 30-inch arms to play him on the boundary, which is kind of where the Chiefs are going to need a guy this year. So I, I think that that's going to be an iffy proposition for them. And that, yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Maddie. Yeah. I'm with you. I wanted to throw one more guy into this mix because I think it's, I think it's a good spot to talk about Cliffs after this. So I want to put Kair Elam in this discussion yep. because he this is where he's going to go, and I believe his arm length is over. Or what is his arm length? It you is gotta break it down. Thirty point eight seven five would be then the fifth guy in the past seven years to get drafted in the first round. Actually, sixth after McDuffie Ooh. goes under thirty one inches. So once again low on the arm length threshold. A guy, Kyrie Elam, is a popular pick for the Chiefs at, you know, pick 29, pick 30. He's a guy that's going to fall well short. He's got the same arm length as Rashad Fitton, a guy that, you know, uh, the Chiefs have been very comfortable playing at Steve Spagnuolo's, you know, reign here. But Rashad Fitton was a fifth-round pick. Now, Elam's obviously got more going for him from an athletic standpoint and from a tape standpoint. But once again, as we talked about, Got these guys, and they fall outside of some of the physical specifications that you want. It makes it harder to pull the trigger on them. Kyrie Elam is one of those guys. Okay, Maddie, go ahead with your assessment of Elam here. Oh no, no, no! I I think that's why he's another guy that I would have not anticipated having short arms. I don't think mm -hmm. it shows up for him on film either. Trent McDuffie, it shows up a little bit. I love Andrew Booth. If you came up to me and said, hey, he has short arms, I'd be like, are you sure? But if you came up to me and said he had really long arms, I'd be like, I don't think so either. Like, I, I thought he'd be right in the middle. So, like, that's where I thought all these guys are. I just, I'm surprised by Elam's. I think this is a good time to talk about the Cliffs because I think Stingley and Sauce Gardner belong on their own little bit. And Absolutely. the Chiefs, no real chance to get to them without trading up. I don't think there's any chance they get to Gardner either way. They shouldn't go trade up for either one. Then these next three that we just talked about, Elam, Booth, and McDuffie, I think are the next three. I mean, unless you have somebody else you think should be added to that group, I think that's the end of guys that should get round one consideration at all out of the cornerback room. I mean, here's the thing. I, you know, we've seen guys like Kyler Gordon get thrown around a little bit. I don't, I don't yeah. think that Kyler Gordon is a round one player, but he at least has 31 inch arms. And then we've seen Roger McCreary get thrown oh, yeah. around a little bit. And Roger McCreary, you know, has under 29 inch arms. Just, uh, you know, catastrophically low. There's only been one player in the last 12, 13 drafts that has come, that has been drafted with under 29-inch arms. McCreary will be the second, but once again, the NFL just does not gamble on guys like that. So I don't foresee either one of those guys. Now, all of a sudden, you are talking about a very serious cliff because everybody after this is going to be largely projection-based or bad slash short athletes. Am I, am I right in saying that, Maddie? Yeah. I mean, I think, so you work out Trent McDuffie there, you work out Roger McCreary, and then like the next, if I'm looking through the KCS and draft guide right now, you're going to come to a fun name in Jalen Armour Davis. I don't mm -hmm. think he's going to get anywhere near the first round. 
but you're looking at the, you know, pick 50, 62, somewhere around three. I believe his arm length is also in the third under point. 31 inch arms. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I get another guy that I wouldn't have guessed watching him press guys, yeah. but Hey, you know, it's there, but now all of a sudden now we're talking about round two or round yeah. three. So this stuff becomes a little bit more palatable, but like I'm even looking through here now, here's where the guys I think start to fit. I'm rounding out this next tier, this like tier two, three. So we said, Jalen Armour Davis, Kyler Gordon, Tariq Woolen, Martin Tariq Emerson. Woolen. I mm-hmm. think that kind of rounds out that group of corners for me. I don't know if you have somebody else you want to put in there. No, I, I think that that's the the two guys that I would have slotted in here. Martin Emerson, 33 and a half inch arm. Pretty good athletic profile. Not you know, Surprising. not exceptional, but pretty good athletic profile. Big dude. He's got a little bit of fluidity in his hips. Ran a, ran a good three cone. And then Tariq Woolen. Just blazing fast, you know, huge dude, 33.625 arms. Like that's that's a projection-based guy, but somebody that you you draft and you go, oh, we'll figure it out later because those tools surely won't fail us on the field. And I mean, a CBAT tier one guy, a guy that that is, you know, in the upper echelon, and guys like that work out over three quarters of the time. So you just take that guy and hope that he's going to work out. But yeah, that's basically the end of that tier there. I, I, I think that I think that you're right there. And so that may be a pick 50 even. Uh, you know, would, would you take a Tariq Woolen at pick 50? So would we're you, looking would at... Would you take a Martin Emerson at pick 50? All right, so we took five guys off. Now we're adding another four corners. And to me, these four corners, I'm going to leave McCreary out for now. So Arbor yeah, Davis, I think Gordon, the NFL Wollen, will too. Yeah. Emerson. That's your next group. I don't even know if Emerson goes this high, but I wanted to include him for the profile. I think these are kind of higher upside guys. These are guys that aren't necessarily ready on day one, I don't think, but you get them into the room, you help define their technique, you get them out there on the field later in the season, you may have something. Uh, 50 though, 50 for a guy that I know I have to do a lot of work to at the cornerback position that's already so volatile. And like we said, Woolen of those three, Emerson two, and that's got some other limitations. I don't, I don't know if I feel great about reaching for guys that don't fit exactly what you want that you also know you're going to have to develop. So then yeah. you start kicking it down to the next year. We talked about McCreary. I think I call this the slightly lower ceiling group. You got the mm-hmm. McCreary's. Uh, I would probably put Emerson here just because I don't, I think he's very zone specific. I don't know if yeah. he can play man in the NFL. So you have Emerson, McCreary, Kobe Bryant, who will pour one out after that pro day. Um, yeah, but that's about it, though. Like, this is why I want to do it. I just named three more guys. That's all I want to touch on day two. Is yeah, there anybody? I'm, like, I, I got one more well, guy I know you want, but there's anybody else on day two that you one like? One more guy order? you know I want. No, I mean, and here's kind of what I put in the article. I think when when people do these mock drafts, like, we're going through all these guys, and not very many of these guys have length. They, they just yeah. don't have length, and we know the NFL – you know, really wants cornerbacks with length. That means guys like Fayetteville State's Josh Williams, Missouri Western's Sam Webb, and Washington State's Jalen Watson. Three guys that I think people just kind of generally look at and go, well, those are those are day three guys. We'll take them in day three in mock drafts. The NFL might be gambling on those guys in day two. Because Jamar Mathis, Cam Taylor-Britt, yes. super freak athletes that also have length. Like, these are all guys Correct. that I... I, I do this too, but I know a lot of mock drafts that I see for the Chiefs. Oh, I don't get my cornerback in the first couple rounds. I'm just going to take two of these guys that we just mentioned in day three because yep. I like them there. Like you will, if everybody likes them there, they're going to go earlier. And like I'm mean, saying, you don't yeah. have length. They're going to chase length. So 
I there is a very good chance that two of those three guys go off the board before Roger McCreary, who's got infinitely better tape than they do. Infinitely better tape than they do. The NFL just does not like short-armed guys. So, yeah, when we're talking about, yeah, I'll just pick up Josh Williams in round four. It's like Josh Williams might go before the Ryan Poles comp pick. He really might because an NFL team is going to look at the length and say, I can do something with that and try and go forward with that. So, That brings up the other cliff here. I think if you want to feel comfortable getting a guy that can play on the boundary for Steve Spagnuolo, obviously there are guys that are going to be, you know, fine to fringe and stuff like that. We talk about how Brett Veach waits. Oh, we'll just wait until round four. He'll find another diamond in the rough. He'll find another guy that can play for Steve Spagnuolo, and maybe he can. But your player pool in this specific draft class is going to be so limited because the rest of the NFL, like Matty said, you know, it lines up with what the rest of the NFL likes. The rest of the NFL is going to be looking for that size as well. You're not just going to be able to sit and wait for the size to kind of fall to you, the athletes to fall to you because, you know, maybe the tape's not as good and you can develop them. Those guys are probably going to go a little bit earlier, especially in this draft class that doesn't have some of the crazy high-end talent that are going to kind of force-feed teams. There are a lot of quarterback-hungry teams in the NFL right now, and there's not a lot of them in this NFL class that can come in and start right away. So I don't know, Matty. I, I, I just see this this thought that the Chiefs are just going to be drafting a cornerback in day three, and I've joked about it as well, the more I start to think about the length element of this and the athletic element of this, I, I don't know that they can wait that long. That's no, that's going to be the trick. I mean, we talked about all the top guys. We talked about the high ceiling guys. We mentioned a couple low, you know, like uh, safe picks with the Emersons, McCreary's, Kobe Bryant. But like then after that, now you're splitting it, the rest of everybody up kind of into boundary guys with length or slot corners. But when you start looking for boundary guys that you even just kind of like some of what they do, you're left with a Caleb Evans, Jalen Watson, Joshua Williams, Damari Mathis, Cam Taylor Britt, Zion McCollum, who's a guy I know that you kind of like because of the athletic testing. But And then Sam Webb, like that's it. That's your entire kind of list of guys that showed any promise on film for the rest of the draft. You waiting to get one of those guys on day three, like 31 other teams are probably waiting to get them on day three. That's where it gets dicey. Like you're operating from such a small pool and not a single one of these guys that I just named is probably ready to step in and start early on either. You're looking at a little bit of development. So like this goes back to kind of like edge. If you're trying to figure out how you attack this position, how are you just going to invest early because of where these cliffs fall? That's not what the chiefs do, but like, is that what you have to do in this draft? I mean, I think you do. I really do think you do. And unfortunately, it may be a guy that isn't quite as pro-ready because of the way that the class is built. Like a Tariq Woolen, who you know has super high ceiling, and I will be jacked for Tariq Woolen to be on this team, but not a guy that I'm looking at and going, okay, you're going to start across from Legereus Sneed. There's your boundary corners. Everything's great. Like, needs some work. So, okay, Maddie, I'm going to put it this way. Before we get out of here, Uh-oh. do the Chiefs draft an edge in round one and do the Chiefs draft a cornerback in the first two days of the NFL draft? Yes. I I think based on everything that we talked about, I think they kind of have to. Um, I don't know. They have enough picks this year. Now, this obviously changed. If the Chiefs have to trade up for an edge and they lose, use other day two picks, I, I'm reserving the right to change the cornerback <laughs> aspect of this. 
if they don't have, you know, four picks on day two, like they do currently right now, this might change. And I might not agree with this, but I just, when I start looking at the cliffs of where the good players go off, then the okay players go off, then the guys that need a bunch of work and then the guys that just fit, but they probably won't be anything in the NFL. Like, I think to even get a guy that just fits what the team likes to do, even though it's a long shot that just fits what the Chiefs like to do, I think they they might have to take it in the top 103 picks of the NFL draft. I don't know if you can sit around and wait till day three. I'm going to say that the Chiefs are going to add a, a cornerback before the draft, and then the board's not going to fall to them, and Brett Veach is going to do what he did during this offseason and say, hey, listen, we, we've we tried. We've tried to draft guys, oh, but it that's just, another it just wild hasn't card. worked out. Yeah. If we push this to the last five minutes, but if they're going to continue to stick to this, like, you know, we're not going to overdraft important positions because the way the value is, like if they're not going to emphasize the positional value part and just look at raw value, and I'm not saying that's what they do for sure, but Brett Leach kind of said that's what they do for sure. He said <laughs> the value of corner doesn't align with where they pick often. I'm like, well, if that happens again, if they're going to stick true to that, like, yeah, they're they're never going to catch up. The cornerback talent is ne- the a cornerback in this draft class is never going to be the most talented player on the board, except for maybe round one. Maybe in round one, Andrew Booth Jr., Trent McDuffie, or Kyrie Elam are sitting there on the board, and I can hear the argument that they're the best player overall. But out after you get past that first round, if he sticks true to his guns and what he has for the past four drafts, I I don't know when they take a corner again because it just will yeah. never align. Yeah, in before the Chiefs draft. Daxton Hill with the first round pick and we can't be super mad about it because he's a really good player that's probably going to play in this slot. That'll do it for this edition of the KC Laboratory. If you liked what we were doing here, go down there, subscribe, hit the subscribe button. Stay tuned to what we have coming up. The draft is coming up at the end of this month. The KCSN draft guide is coming out this week. Go get that. Do everything that you can to stay tuned to what we're doing because we're going to keep you up to date with some of the stuff like this where we're going through positional breakdowns what the chiefs want and kind of where guys could be and we will be there live with you during draft weekend break down the picks as they occur to try and give you some instant analysis i want to thank you all once again for joining us and we'll catch you later